Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Eulogy continued. Far from boasting of God's graces and attempting to make his virtues show to attract esteem, he consistently applied himself to leading a hidden, unknown life. Just as the proud seek every means imaginable to obtain for themselves an advantageous place in the eyes of others, you could say that one who is truly humble makes every effort not only to avoid the applause and praise of creatures, but even to withdraw from the honorable estimations creatures could have of him. We have come across saints in former ages who deliberately did ridiculous things to attract everyone's contempt and mockery, or at least to inspire doubts regarding the high opinions conceived of their worth. That is what Brother Lawrence did. His humility, which I consider his special trait, led him to use holy deceptions and some apparently childish behavior to conceal his virtue and hide its brightness. He was looking for truth, not glory. And since he wanted God to be the sole witness of his actions, he wanted God alone for his reward. Reserved as Lawrence was when it came to himself, he was nonetheless willing to speak for the sake of the edification of his brothers, not with the most enlightened, whose knowledge and insights often inflate their hearts, but with the little and simplest ones. And it was noted that when he found those of this bent, he hid nothing from them. He taught them the marvelous secrets of the interior life and the treasures of divine wisdom with admirable simplicity. The fervor that accompanied his words so enchanted those who had the advantage of conversing with him that they went off entirely penetrated with the love of God and completely inflamed with the desire to put into practice the great truths he had just taught them in secret. Since God was leading him more by love than by fear of his judgments, so too all his spiritual conversations were aimed at inspiring this same love, breaking the least attachments to creatures and putting to death the old man to establish the reign of the new man. If you want to make great progress in the spiritual life, he would say to his brothers, pay no attention to the beautiful words or the subtle discourse of the wise of the earth. Woe to those who look to human knowledge to satisfy their curiosity. 
It is the creator who teaches the truth, who instructs the hearts of the humble in a moment, and who makes them understand more regarding the mysteries of our faith and of the divinity itself than if they had meditated on these things for many years. It was for this reason that he carefully avoided answering questions of idle curiosity, which lead nowhere and only serve to encumber the mind and dry up the heart. But when his superiors ordered him to openly state his thoughts on the questions raised during his conversations, he answered so correctly and so clearly that no one could take exception to his replies. Several experts, ecclesiastic and religious, noticed this when they obliged him to answer them. This was also the wise opinion of an understanding bishop of France, whose conversations with Brother Lawrence led him to speak in his favor, saying that Lawrence had become worthy of God, who truly communicated with him, and who revealed to him his mysteries. He added that the grandeur and purity of Lawrence's love of God made him live in anticipation here on earth, like the blessed in heaven. He was raised up to God by the knowledge of creatures, convinced that the books of the greatest schools teach little compared with the great book of the world when studied properly. His soul, touched by the diversity of the many elements that compose the world, was brought to God so forcefully that nothing could separate him from God. He noticed in each of its marvels the various attributes of the power, the wisdom, and the goodness of the creator, who delighted his spirit in admiration and lifted up his heart in transports of love and joy, making him cry out with the prophet, O Lord, God of gods, how incomprehensible are you in your thoughts, how deep in your designs, and how powerful in all your actions. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Angels of God, our guardians, dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this day be at our side, to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, have mercy on us. Saint Philip Neri, gentle guide of youth, mirror of the divine life, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Brother Lawrence has a remarkable similarity to Saint Philip Neri. In particular, they have a similarity in their practice of hiding their holiness. Brother Lawrence is said to have acted in strange ways 
when he realized that people seemed to have a too lofty opinion of him. He either wanted to have them mock him, or at least he wanted to inspire some kind of doubt about their high opinion of him. Now, why would Brother Lawrence do this? Well, he did not, first of all, want people to lose sight of God. Oh, the saint, the saint, he's over there. Look at the saint. Oh, what is the saint doing? Well, first of all, Brother Lawrence wasn't really interested in having glory among men. He wanted glory among God. And when he saw that he was being turned into something of a, a kind of show, or that people who wanted holiness were coming to him as though he were some kind of attraction. Well, that's not what he wanted. And he didn't think that was going to help people. And so he would inspire some doubts about his high worth. Because those people weren't really looking for God, they were looking for something else. Because when he did find people who were truly searching for God, when he found people that were humble and were coming, trying to find real enlightenment, he gave them whatever he had. He held nothing back. He tried to help them. But why also would Brother Lawrence want to be even mocked or held in contempt? Well, if we go back to the writings for example, of St. John of the Cross, this Carmelite like Brother Lawrence, who was very influential in beginning the male branch, the Discalced Carmelites. John of the Cross talks about a certain state of soul in which the soul cannot even stand its own presence. This is not a kind of modern um, self-hatred or some kind of psychological, unhealthy hatred of self. But this is a, a spiritual enlightenment in which the soul becomes very much aware of its distance from God. This is awareness of self based primarily on who God is and God's infinite power and perfection and purity. And then the soul sees itself in relation to him. And it has a kind of distaste, disgust with itself because it so often fails to correspond with his graces. It so often tries to steal his glory. The soul in this state is not distressed. It's not upset. It doesn't speak of itself in some kind of false way or always putting itself down. It's not an unhealthy distrust of self because it's rooted in God. Okay, but that state of soul, Brother Lawrence certainly had. And therefore, Brother Lawrence knew that in relation to God, he really should be mocked. In relation to God, he really should be held in contempt. And insofar as he was so unfaithful to the graces God gave him, and insofar as he would be so far from God if God had not shown him mercy continually, 
then he was worth mocking. He was worth contempt. Considered apart from God. Considered in his unfaithfulness. And so let us ask Brother Lawrence to pray for us. Let us ask St. Philip to pray for us. Let us ask all the saints, especially St. John Paul II, to pray for us. That we might be penetrated, filled, blinded by God. That we might seek God and his glory. That we might want God alone to be our reward that we might be filled with a love of the truth, not a love of empty glory, that we might want God to be the witness of our actions, the sole witness. Because if anyone sees us, if anyone has a great opinion of us in this life, who cares, honestly, in the end? Because I know it's hard. We want it often. It seems important, but how long will that person live? Maybe 20 more years, maybe 30 years, maybe 40 years, maybe 50 years, maybe 60 years. Okay, and so we have their great opinion of us for 60 years. And then what happens? They die. And then they see Christ. And then they know the truth. No more illusions. No more deceptions. We will be known and we will know as we are known. And then our greatness, which is only really found in Christ, will be known. Our self-worth cannot be found in the eyes of any other human person. Do we need them? Yes. Are we meant to love each other and support each other? Are our lives bound up with them? Yes. But human beings have such a small perspective on the world. Even this most brilliant theologian. But the one who cannot deceive and cannot be deceived is our Lord Jesus Christ. If only little by little we began to care more what he thought of us, then we'd be more peaceful. Then we could go on, even when things turn out contrary to what we wish. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.